Welcome to Uncommons. I'm Nate Erskine-Smith, and I'm joined on this episode by NDP MP Taylor Backratch to discuss his bill C-10, which would lower the voting age to 16. Now, we recorded this episode a couple of months back, and I had actually hoped that in posting this in September, we'd have time for a longer fall campaign, especially in schools, and that the vote would come up sometime in November. Unfortunately, Taylor's chance to trade down the list to create space for a fall school campaign fell through for arcane procedural reasons, and the vote is scheduled for tomorrow, September 28th. From where I sit, Taylor should be commended for prioritizing the issue of youth engagement, and he makes a strong case for why we should all vote in support of C-10, to send the bill to committee for further study, to hear from young Canadians, experts, and civic-minded organizations. Many of my liberal colleagues will be supporting this bill as well, but the liberal government won't be. The rationale for its opposition is nonsense, to put it politely. To quote the position rationale, Forthcoming recommendations, reports from the chief electoral officer, and associated parliamentary studies are important opportunities to examine the federal voting age, among other issues. I have no idea what that means, but I do know that voting to support C-10 would literally give us an actual opportunity for a parliamentary study of this very issue. The government also notes that all provinces and territories use either 18 or 19 as an age of majority. This is a fact, of course, in many ways, but it is a nod to the status quo more than it is a substantive engagement with the issue at hand. All of that's to say, credit to Taylor, credit to all colleagues who are supporting this bill. On a local note, I also want to credit my old provincial liberal colleague, Arthur Potts, who introduced a similar bill at that level. I don't see this as a fix for all that ails our democracy but where we can reasonably extend the franchise and improve youth engagement, we should seize the opportunity. Taylor, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Nate. You have an interesting bill to lower the voting age to 16. It is, I've read the 11th bill that has been introduced in our Canadian Parliament to do just this, and None have been successful to date, although you are early on the list to get this bill voted on. Before we get to process, why should 16-year-olds have a right to vote? Well, I think there's a, a number of reasons. Um, you know, the, the first and foremost is that the issues we're talking about in the House of Commons are big issues that have a tremendous bearing on young people's future. And not just young people's future, but young people's lives today. You know, this is often framed in terms of giving young people something that we're going to give them the right to vote. But I, I think we can actually flip it on its head and say, uh, what does Canada stand to gain from bringing young voices and young perspectives into our democratic system? Uh, we know from issues like uh, the school strike for climate. I know right now in Ontario, there's a group of high school students that are uh, working politically to have the issue of sexual violence and harassment in high schools addressed. There are all sorts of issues that young people are passionate about. And in many ways, our political system is not addressing those issues because young people don't have the vote. They, they don't, you know, they don't have that most basic agency in our electoral process. So, so that's, that's one reason. The, the other reason is because it's going to strengthen our democracy in Canada. And we look around the world right now, and I, I know you know this very well, but we see democracies in peril. We see some really troubling trends when it comes to democratic systems. Freedom House just came out with a report that 60 countries saw their democratic scores decline. And this is something I think in the wake of the, the convoy protests uh, here in Ottawa and across Canada, that we should be very alert to, that there are people who feel disenfranchised, who feel like their voices are not being heard. And if we allow that to persist, 
there could be really troubling consequences. So strengthening our democracy, bringing people into the conversation and ensuring as many people as possible feel represented and feel heard is so important right now more than ever. On that point of strengthening democracy, and I don't want to overstate the case of just how important an initiative like this would be to strengthen democracy, but one element I think is crucially important. I've seen this firsthand. I, I go into schools through the civics program, a national charity dedicated to strengthening democracy through civic education. I go to schools more regularly than that pre-pandemic, certainly. And I've always found engaging young Canadians well before the age of 18 has been beneficial for me, but beneficial for them too, I think, in terms of thinking through how the issues they care about are connected to politics because they don't always see politics as an answer to the to the very real challenges uh, that they want to confront and they want to address. And the best part about sort of the civics student vote program that I've seen is the importance of forming good habits in relation to voting and in relation to our democracy. Yeah. And so the chief electoral officer, even a few years ago, I think, had said, this is a quote from him, we know that Canadians who vote early in their lifetime will continue to vote and those who don't vote in the first few elections will tend not to vote later on. So there's a real benefit to making sure that Canadians vote early and voting when you're 16, there's an opportunity to reach out to them. That element of it really, really speaks to me because I've seen it firsthand. And that that idea of improving habits in relation to our democracy, I think is crucial. And I think this is where we find agreement amongst all political parties and everyone in politics is that um, having high participation in elections is one of the hallmarks of a strong and healthy democracy. And, and this is where I think lowering the voting age finds one of its most compelling arguments is that in places where this has been tried around the world, we've seen voter participation go up for those youngest demographics. It turns out that 18 years old is a really terrible age to expect young people to vote for the first time. And, and the danger here is that if you don't vote for the first time, you run the risk of developing the habit of being a non-voter. And the, con the, the opposite is also true. If young people vote in their first election, uh, they develop that habit and become voters for life. And, and this, the evidence bears this out in countries like Austria and Scotland, Wales, uh, other countries that have lowered the voting age to, to uh, 16. Now, at 18, young people's lives are, are in a time of transition. Young people have moved away from their home riding, they're going to school, they're entering the workforce, they're all sort of all sorts of competing pressures and new experiences. It, it's a really challenging time to motivate young people to go find their polling place and, and understand the federal election and take that step. By contrast, at 16, they're living at home, living with their parents, they're going to high school. It's a very stable environment. They're in the home community that they feel connected to, but many, many people will have grown up in that community and understand the issues and, and maybe even understand the people running for, for office. So I think that's really what contributes to that improvement in voter turnout when we uh, lower the voting age. And it's why 16, I think, makes a really logical age because it brings that first election uh, inside young people's time in high school. And for me, I don't even really need to see an increase in voter turnout to a significant degree to think this is a good idea, because it is about extending the franchise to individuals. Extending the franchise is beneficial for those individuals. And if only 40% to 50% of 16-year-olds voted, I would still consider that a success because these are individuals who then are contributing to our democracy and, again, forming those habits. You mentioned, you mentioned other countries. And 
I actually wasn't aware of this until we connected to record this and I started going in the weeds a little bit about the issue. And I was surprised to see the number of countries that we have Austria that reduced the voting age in national elections to 16 in 2007. The Scottish Parliament reduced the voting age to 16 uh, for its own local elections in 2015. The in Germany right now, I guess there's a coalition deal as of last year to lower the voting age to 16 within their current parliament. And in 2004, even it failed in the UK, but it was a close vote. There was a private members bill similar to yours that that narrowly was defeated. And one thing that really stuck out to me in your speech in the House of Commons, you mentioned that several organizations that represent Inuit people hold elections and the voting age for those elections is 16. So there's not an overwhelming amount of experience, but a, a growing body of experience that this isn't going to create problematic consequences, but this is going to be beneficial for young people. Yeah, I'd say the experience around the world has has been largely positive. I, there aren't the, the sky doesn't fall when you lower the voting age to 16. And we actually see all of these very positive outcomes. Young people feel more engaged. They're more likely to, to trust political institutions, to have that high level of social trust. And they're more likely to engage in other kinds of political activities to, to um, engage as citizens. And, and that is just such an important thing, especially at this particular juncture. When you turn your mind to engaging in political activities as a young person, what do you make of the fact that it looks like a majority of Canadians, based on polling in 2016, that don't necessarily agree the franchise should be extended to Canadians who are 16. But at the same time, for many years now, our political parties, you're a member of the NDP, I'm a member of the Liberal Party, it's the same for Conservatives. Yeah. The If you're 14 or 16, at least 14 in the Liberal Party, I don't know what it is in your party. Yeah, it's, it's 14 across four, the board, from what I can So tell. if you're 14 in this country, you can join a party. You can vote for a leadership candidate. You can vote for a nomination candidate. So you and I could secure votes in the run-up to becoming the candidate for our respective ridings, but we can't secure their votes in the general election. That is, I I find that bizarre. I don't know what the... <laughs> yeah, the, these leadership races are really important elections because you're choosing the candidate that is going to have a chance uh, to potentially become the prime minister of Canada. Uh, if that's not a weighty decision, what is? And we empower 14-year-olds to participate in that decision. And yet in our federal elections, where you're voting for your local member of parliament, uh, we still exclude them from the franchise. I, I think that's probably one of the biggest inconsistencies that um, really makes people question why we set the age where we do. And it leaves one scratching one's head. I, I read Pierre Paul Lev actually gave a speech in 2005 when Mark Holland had a bill to lower the voting age. And he said, well, we need young, we need to engage young people in every way that we can and including in leadership races, but I don't support lowering the voting age to 16. And, and you're just left grappling with a series of inconsistencies that make no sense at all, especially when, and you've already highlighted this, I think you highlighted this thoughtfully when, when you mentioned issues like climate change, but issues that affect young Canadians, certainly that they deserve uh, to have a say around. And it's not only issues in the future, you also acknowledge issues today. And uh, the most recent example, not in our country, but in the United States, you know, if I was a student who had lived through a school shooting, you're damn right I would want to Absolutely. vote in the coming election and hold people accountable. Absolutely. And, and I think we see all across the country, we see young people who are passionate about the issues and looking for avenues to express that. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think in many ways, young people can see issues in a different way. One of the one of the interesting things, because I, I've, I've tweeted about the bill and and I'm always very uh, interested to see the comments from people across the country. And and one of the things that we that we hear from some quarters is that young people need to be more invested in the status quo in order to vote. They should, you know, we even hear people saying you should have to own property, which of course, you know, like this is a this is an idea from over a century ago that you, you should be a landowner in order to vote, but that people should have some experience. That makes with- me deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> I know it's it's incredible <laughs> that uh, that that young people should have some debt first before they get to vote, so they understand, you know, the financial burden of that kind of thing, and and so this idea that you need to you need to have some sort of vested interest or some sort of you know, investment in the status quo in order to be enfranchised, I, I think is a deeply problematic one. And actually, uh, because young people aren't coming from that particular place, I think it actually gives them a fresh perspective on many issues and sort of a moral clarity where they're able to see issues like the climate crisis much more clearly than people who, who can be a little bit clouded by all of the considerations of the status quo. So what, that's one of the reasons uh, I'm excited about bringing young people into the conversation. We don't give young people nearly enough credence in our, in our culture. And I think there's ageism across all sorts of demographics, and we see it expressed towards older people as well. But the idea of older people, you know, having wisdom and having a a bit of a sacred place in our society is more well-developed, I think, than the role of of young people and the wisdom that they bring. And, uh, you know, I I have seen in some some communities, and I I travel lots to Indigenous communities, and and I'm so inspired to see the way that they hold up young people as well as elders. And we could all benefit from that. One of the things I've been the most disturbed by in bringing forward this bill is some really distressing um, views on young people in general. And and the fact that uh, really prejudicial and discriminatory perceptions of young people are are quite uh, persistent throughout our our society. So hopefully this bill is going to start that conversation about, you know, the positive role that young people can play and what they can bring to our democracy. I, I think that's the, the piece that I get the most excited about. Well, based on the conversations I've had with my own youth council, with countless classrooms and the course of campaigning generally and, and being available in the community generally, 16-year-olds can unquestionably vote and unquestionably have the maturity and capacity at a level that 18-year-olds have, at a level that 22-year-olds have, at a level that 75-year-olds have. I don't see a marked difference in terms of the engagement with our politics, the capacity to think through issues. And yet, 16 is an arbitrary number two, and 18 is arbitrary. And we draw these arbitrary ages of majority around any number of different subjects. And so the the best argument I've seen in some ways, and it's not a direct challenge to 16, it's just a challenge to why 16 and not 14, why not 12. Andrew Coyne's written a couple of articles, and he says, if there's no meaningful distinction in reasonability between age 16 and 18, is there any greater distinction between 14 and 16 or between 12 and 14 or 10 and 12? If 18 is considered an arbitrary cutoff, how is 16 any less arbitrary? Sure. To some extent, the concept of voting age is arbitrary. I don't think many people would support the extremes uh, in terms of lowering the voting age. Um, No one is suggesting that four-year-olds should vote. But 
the way I like to flip the question around is, is to look at the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which affords every Canadian citizen the right to vote. And so the question is, on what basis is it legitimate to exclude people from that right? Often people talk about maturity and, and competence to make a rational decision, but that's not a criteria we impose on any other age demographic. We don't go to 30-year-olds and say, well, you know, you've got to be able to answer this skill testing question or you have to watch the news three out of five nights a week in order to vote in an election. Like people vote for all kinds of reasons and based on all kinds of criteria. And yet for young people, we seem to kind of set this bar of, of maturity and rationality. At the same time, there's scientific evidence that shows that 16-year-olds are able to exercise this thing called cold cognition, which is a, a kind of decision-making uh, that is very relevant to the voting process, which is you know, looking at information and making a rational decision in a, in a calm, stable environment like a voting booth. I think it's an interesting academic question, maybe, <laughs> how low should it go? But really... For practical purposes, we look around the world, most countries have chosen 16, I think for the reasons we've talked about when it comes to voter turnout and bringing that first voting experience uh, into the, the really stable time in which young people are, are still going to high school and still living at home. That's the, the most compelling reason. And, you know, it, it's a fair question uh, about where, where that should stop. But I think, I think given that most countries have chosen 16, given that 16 is also a threshold in our society, where young people are given all sorts of other adult responsibilities. It makes a lot of sense. So at 16 years old, you can drive, you can quit school and live on your own if you so choose. I'm not advising that. You can get married if you want. You know, 16 and 17 year olds can join the armed forces under certain conditions. Uh, so it is an age at which we give young people uh, very adult-like responsibilities. I think the biggest responsibility that young people are able to exercise is that they're able to work and pay taxes. And yet they aren't allowed to vote in the elections that choose the government that sets those taxes. So um, I, all of these are reasons that I think 16-year-olds year old, should be included. I think you're right to say the lines we draw will of necessity be somewhat arbitrary. They were arbitrarily 21 in, in up until 1970 when the law was changed to reduce the voting age to 18. And now there's sufficient evidence, I, I think, to say based on our experiences, but you've mentioned the the actual scientific literature as far as capacity goes. And 16 is a proposal on the table. I, I, that seems to be what we ought to be engaging with. And I think you're right about the extremes. I mean, suggesting it should go to 25 would be an unreasonable line to draw. Suggesting it goes to eight would be an unreasonable line to draw. There's obviously a range of reasonable options. If you are arguing 15 or 17 or 16, or I don't think the court challenge will be successful because I think 18 is a reasonable answer in terms of an arbitrary cutoff, but 16 is reasonable too. And it extends the franchise to people that deserve it. So I kind of shrug my shoulders. Well, and, and, then, say, and it has these benefits, <laughs> you know, right, exactly. if, if we're exactly. serious about improving our electoral process and strengthening our democracy, why wouldn't we look around the world at things that have worked? and employ those here. Like it's one thing to say, we don't wanna break new ground. We don't wanna be the first country that's gonna try something unproven because it might blow up in our face. It hasn't blown up, you know? It's only done good things in all these countries that have tried it. So why wouldn't we learn from that? It's, it's very similar, I think, to the conversation about electoral reform and proportional representation, but almost more clear because the experience has been so universal and because the arguments against it, I think are particularly weak. Um, there really, there really aren't unintended consequences of this. 
I think the, the intended consequence is that young people are more engaged, young people are more informed, young people come out to vote in greater numbers, and young people feel like their voices are heard. Like, that's all upside. Right. And people who are able to contribute to the electoral process will contribute to the electoral process. And if we can extend the franchise, we should extend the franchise in a responsible way. Now, you've mentioned the positive international experience. I would say one would think that the prime minister and the liberal government would support this bill, at least to get it to committee, because you have a prime minister that made himself the minister of youth after the 2015 election. You have a prime minister who established his own youth council, but also encouraged other members of parliament. I have a youth council because it was an ethos of this government, I would say, in our party to say, let's engage young people as much as we can. It was a, I was 29 when I first got engaged in the nomination process. I, I care a great deal about engaging young people. I think I'm a better politician because of it. I'm not the only one in my liberal caucus, and the prime minister would be another example of someone who's created his own youth council. Mark Holland, I've mentioned, the government house leader now, he introduced legislation in 2005. Locally, I should say, a former liberal MPP, Arthur Potts, did the same. And you have a, a bit of a liberal history to standing up for youth engagement. Is the government going to support this bill? I, I met with the government and all signs are that they're going to kill it and not even let it get to committee, which is deeply disappointing. It's um, baffling, actually. It is. Like it's, not, it's disappointing, but I... When I lay out, the, lay out those factors, oh, I've asked them. Um, <laughs> and why is and it? I, I don't not get a good answer. I don't get a good answer as to why, other than process-wise, we don't want to we don't want to waste time at committee, which makes no sense at all. It'd be a valuable even if they're even if they weren't going to support it at third reading. You think this is a no-brainer to get to committee to hear from experts, to hear about the international experience, to hear all of the reasons you've laid out, to not even send it to committee. I think is. I would just say unacceptable. I just don't. You understand know, I've been what... talking to lots of your colleagues about this bill and trying to reach out to as many of them as possible. And and one of the most common responses from people who and there are some who are enthusiastic about it. Uh, I'll, I'll say, but the most common response from those who aren't enthusiastic about it is is sort of a shrug. Like yes. eighteen feels fine to me. You know, yes. Um, it's it's just not. And and I don't know if. I try showing them the data and talking about other countries and all these things, but it, it doesn't seem to be enough to overcome the, the shrug factor. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because uh, the shrug factor is probably a better way of putting it. I was going to talk about ambivalence because I think the response I've gotten is a similar shrug to say it's not that we're really opposed to the idea. It's not a priority for us and it's not something we plan to move forward with. So I think to combat that ambivalence, to make sure that the government takes a second look at this. A campaign is necessary, a national campaign that mobilizes students, that builds out a coalition of organizations that is going to call for this. And, and is that campaign underway? Is, are there the makings of a campaign like that? Absolutely. There's some great work being done. I'll, I'll mention um, a few folks. So there's a, a class here in Ottawa, out in Canada, I visited, and, and their teacher has worked with the class. They were the ones who put forward the parliamentary petition that just crossed the 500 signature threshold and hopefully will be also sponsored to... by a liberal member, right? Like again, sponsored by Jenna Suds, your colleague. Wonderful. So there, there are people who are interested. Organizations like uh, Children First Canada have done some great work on this. They've done a lot of uh, research and, and gathering young people's perspectives on the issue. 
Uh, I had a, a reception here on the Hill with some fantastic young people who spoke passionately and, and strongly in, in favor of this. You know, there's only so much runway with a private member's bill, especially if you draw a low number. And, and this is going to be up for a vote September 21st or shortly thereafter. But we're going to do everything we can in that lead up to build awareness and, and support for this concept. It is interesting, the piece around public support, because what they found in Scotland they lowered the voting age in Scotland prior to the 2014 independence referendum. And they felt like the independence referendum was such a, a monumental decision that young people should be enfranchised for that. And, you know, going into that, the, the, the public support based on the polling was, was pretty modest. It was like 30% support, I believe. After the referendum and after they lowered the voting age and had some experience, a couple of years later, uh, public support went up to 60%. So, you know, when people see the outcomes, they see young people engaged, it, it really helps them understand why this is a positive thing. And I also reflect back on all the changes, Canada, you've referred to a couple of these already, all the changes we've made in Canada to enfranchise people, to enfranchise Indigenous people, to enfranchise women, to enfranchise Asian Canadians. And, and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in those conversations. And, and of course, the decision in 1970 to lower the voting age. But my, my suspicion is that many of the same arguments were raised at each of those junctures. And yet I can't imagine anyone suggesting that any of those changes have been anything but positive. Like, you know, once people are enfranchised, like really the more people that can be part of the conversation about democracy in Canada, the better. And, um, and yet at each of these junctures, we have these heated debates about, you know, whether certain people should become part of our voting process. I, I think you're right to say the more people that can participate in our democracy, the better. I'm always a bit wary of comparing it to other, other moments of uh, enfranchising, whether it's women or indigenous people, only because there are those are clear cases of overt discrimination. The same when I, my, I get deeply uncomfortable when you say like, when there are comments to you around people with property, that there are clearly elements of discrimination that, that cut through conversations like that. On the question of enfranchising younger people than we already enfranchise, I, I think the court challenge will fail because I think 18 is a reasonable cutoff. I, I think 16 is also reasonable and then more people, the better. So let's get to 16. And and there are these other positive benefits that you've got. Is why I, my ambivalence goes the other way. I, I kind of shrug my shoulders back at those who are opposing your bill and I say, why would you, why would you oppose this bill? Like, well, some what, of the, some of the why? reasons are pretty cut and dried. I've appreciated the, the brutal honesty of some of the, my conservative colleagues uh, when I've asked them whether they're going to support it. They're like, heck no. And I say, why? They're like, oh, Those young well, people why, aren't going to vote for me, you know, because it's ah, really based ah, okay. on perceptions around how young people are going to vote. Interesting. In, incorrect, that, incorrect uh, assessments, by the way. That well, I, people... I think it's based on some pretty sweeping assumptions because yeah, exactly. school, school vote has shown us actually that young people vote across the political spectrum and in fairly equal exactly. proportions. And and so I would I would question some of those uh, mythologies that that seem to persist. Uh, they might be doing is, themselves a disservice. It is an interesting one. When I when I tell young people about that, they find it particularly egregious because that argument against lowering the voting age basically says it's not that you're not competent. It's not that you're not mature enough. It's actually how we're worried you're going to use the franchise. Yeah, it's terrible. That's the, it's the worst possible argument. Anyone can it make. is the worst possible argument you can make. So, but not, not only because it's wrong in its assessment, but because it, it is deeply selfish in a way that is unacceptable. 
you, on the other hand, not only support this bill, but you put it forward. It's not people should be aware of this, but private members business and the lottery system is the most arcane system that we have in Parliament. And you literally <laughs> have to win win the lottery to have a bill debated and, and voted on. I just in because they come forward in tranches of 30 and I was like number 29. So Exactly. And so you, had, you have won the lottery. You're in the top 30 and you could have introduced anything so long as it doesn't spend money and doesn't tax. And of all the issues that you could have pursued and forced a debate and vote on, this is the one that you prioritized. Why, why did this matter so much to you? Why was this the bill? Yeah, good, good question. I, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, in terms of you know the issues and the role that young people can can play and the things they can offer for our democracy, what's happening to democracy around the world, those are all uh, factors. I would add two more things. One is that I was a politically engaged young person. I remember how it felt to be on the outside and to not have that agency and to care deeply about the issues. Um, the second one is that I, I have two... Um, incredible teenage daughters, one's 17 and one's 15. And watching them mature and, and come to terms with the issues and what's happening in the world has just really opened my eyes to um, how much information young people today have access to, how connected they are through social media, through the internet, to different movements around the world, and, and really how passionate and compassionate they are about uh, different issues. So that's that's the other reason. And then the third one is because, uh, like you, I really like looking for opportunities for cross-party collaboration. And this is a bill with a long history. This isn't an idea that I just cooked up and slapped on the table. Um, it's been, the NDP has tabled it going back to Bev Desjardins from Saskatchewan back, I don't know, early 2000s. Um, Don Davies, my colleague, has tabled it. I, I counted seven times. He claims it's less than that. Uh, and you mentioned your liberal <laughs> colleagues who've tabled it, Mark Holland, especially, and and uh, Elizabeth May from the Green Party has also tabled this bill. So it seemed to me like there would be a bit of a line of sight on getting it passed, that this is a bill that would have that cross-party support. So, Well, and in the Senate, Senator McFadren has a bill, yes. S-201, that yes. she's working on. So there's, there's collaboration across chambers. Ratna Omidvar gave an excellent speech in support of that as well. And she's a senator who is, and she's incredibly serious and has contributed to public policy, including most recently through the Budget Implementation Act in a couple of different ways. So mm-hmm. one, with, one would hope that voices like that would also change the government's thinking because i think for anyone listening and and i do think much more needs to be done to lean into this campaign because the only way we shake the ambivalence and the, and the shrug factor as you described it is to fill up the inboxes of members of parliament especially liberal members of parliament with notes of support including from classrooms including from parents including from individuals who who care and and i hope they express the view as you've expressed that you know politics gets a bad rap sometimes and rightly so because of the way we conduct ourselves at times but it is one of the most important if not the most important way we can make a positive difference in the lives of our neighbors and here's an opportunity to bring young people into that process and show them that yeah, you can make change all sorts of different ways, but this is one of them too. Yeah, it's it's one of the most uh, primary important ways in our democracy. I think that's really well said. And I'm, I'm confident that this change is going to happen eventually. Uh, I'm hopeful that it'll happen this time and that this bill will be a contribution towards making it a reality. Hopefully we can get it to committee. 
Uh, we're going to do everything we can to get it there. But, you know, looking around the world, looking at this wave of countries that are lowering the voting age and, and reaping the benefits of that, uh, eventually this is this is something that is going to be, you know, it's going to happen here in Canada. And I'm glad you mentioned Senator McFedrin. I, I've been collaborating with her because, of course, she has a parallel bill that's moving forward at the same time. It actually represents another opportunity if it if it makes it through the Senate and comes to the House of Commons, another another shot at getting this passed. Um, and also Dave Meslin with uh, Vote16.ca. He's been working with the campaign and with young people across Canada and around the world. And um, there is momentum around these issues. There are more countries than just Canada that are um, considering this. And it's going to be very fascinating to watch over the coming years as, as more and more places come on board. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Uncommons. Here's hoping the next parliamentary attempt is given more serious consideration and that we learn the lessons of other jurisdictions around lowering the voting age and extending the franchise. I am a strong supporter of many of the initiatives of this federal liberal government, of course, despite my occasional disagreement, but it's also not lost on me that its democratic reform agenda has been a struggle at times. As always, you can reach me at info at beynate.ca if you have any questions, comments, criticisms, or if you have suggestions for future guests or topics. And otherwise, until next time.